Welcome to the Perfect Faith Podcast. I'm Kurt Klingerman, your host, and this is episode 12 of season 4. This episode is entitled The Church and Government, Lessons from Daniel. And before we jump into it, just a real quick disclaimer, and that is simply, this is not a political message whatsoever, so don't be looking for any politics. This is simply addressing how we as the body of, of believers should interact with government or those in authority. So that's where we're going with this. Um, Because in essence, the church by and large has lost a lot of its influence in relation to government and in relation to those in authority. And there's a good reason for that, which we'll address here shortly. Another thing I'm going to do before we get into that is share something that I got this last Sunday and uh, that I feel like the Lord wanted me to share with the church at large. So let's get into it. So Sunday, uh, which was November 8th of 2020 at 8.28 a.m., this is what I feel like the Lord dropped in my spirit that I wrote down. The uncertainty of the moment is not necessarily a bad thing, as some believe. Uncertain moments bring people to a crossroad. They must decide whether they will trust me and not lean on their own understanding or seek to control things out of fear. They will either seek me or seek other things. In such instances, many will seek me and I will be found. Uncertain times are opportunities for people to experience my goodness on much higher levels when things, than when things seem to be on an even keel. It's a place where my glory shows up. These uncertain times are serving a purpose, so don't lose heart. Now is the time to become more kingdom-minded than ever. It's time to press in even more. World circumstances never dictate my will. Because you're in my kingdom, what happens in the world is not a determining factor for you. It cannot change my plans and purposes for you. Because I have made you kings and priests, you rule in the world. The world does not rule you. The times are ripe for my word. Again, press in even more. Go deeper. So again, that's what I got this last Sunday, November 8th. And I I pray that's an encouragement to you, especially during the times that we're in. Uh, One more thing, too, before we jump into, into the word here. And that is that if you have a need in prayer, where we can come alongside you, I want you to feel free to either email me at curd at perfectfaith.org, or if you feel comfortable with it, feel free to uh, put your request in the comments below. We're um, trying to build a community where we have people that are, where we are a body of believers, brothers and sisters that are going to support one another and then pray in agreement with one another. And of course, that agreement's got to be with God. So, Anyway, if you want to share a prayer request, feel free to do that again at curditperfectfaith.org or you can uh, feel free to leave it in the comment section below if you feel comfortable with that. Okay, so the church and government, lessons from Daniel. A little bit ago I, I mentioned this, and that was that the church at large has lost a great amount of influence in the in, the, in government, or in the world for that matter. Part of it is that we disengaged from the world. We became less intentional. And so with intentionality in mind, think of it this way. 
if we are intentional in our walk with the Lord and intentional the way we in the way that we interact with other people or with those in authority, we will gain more influence. On the other hand, if we're neglectful or if we are not intentional, we will lose influence. And of course, now the bigger question is what kind of influence do we want to have? And that leads me to a question for you. Do you want to do things God's way or do you want to lean on your own understanding and perhaps enter into the realm of carnality when dealing with those in authority? So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's start it out this way. Understand that God created government, and I know I'm stating the obvious, but I think sometimes we lose touch with that reality. In Romans 13:1, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. Powers that be are ordained of God. So remember that those in, their, in authority, in essence, are ordained of God, whether or not we agree with the person that's in authority. Again, I'm not going to get into politics, but regardless of what the viewpoint is of the person that holds that position, is irrelevant in relation to the way we deal with them. And again, we're going to show, I'm going to show you more of that in relation to an example that Daniel gave us. So, since God created governments, he also uses governments. So yes, God uses governments. In a moment here, I'm going to read out of Jeremiah 29 some instructions that the Lord gave to Israel just before they went into captivity. Israel had had a long span of time where they rebelled against the Lord, and the Lord had sent them numerous prophets to warn them, telling them that they need to repent. And they kept rejecting the word of the Lord. So finally, it came to a place where the Lord said, no more. You're going to be going into captivity. Many of you are going to die by the sword or famine or by pestilence. And there's going to be a remnant of you that are going into captivity. In this case, it is going, they, were, they went into captivity into Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. So this is the instructions that Jeremiah had given them, or the Lord gave the children of Israel through Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, verse 1. This is where we're going to start. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priests and to the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, um, let me do a slight correction. Actually, they've already been in captivity. But leading up to this point, the Lord had warned them. So now, many have already died. And now there's a, a remnant that are in Babylon that are in captivity. So this is the instructions to those people. So we're going to jump up to verse 5 through 7. And by the way, if you have your Bible, feel free to follow along with me. Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7. Build you houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat the fruit of them, take you wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. Now, check this next part of the verse out. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For, the, for in the peace thereof shall you have peace. So here's 
the second half, I really want to focus on this, but I'll back up just a little bit. Regardless who's in authority, we need to go about our business day in and day out. And that, again, is regardless of what the point of view is or worldview that those in authority have. But here's the bigger thing. The Lord told him that I want you to seek the peace of the city I've sent you. In other words, I want you to seek the peace for the enemy. I mean, we're talking about the very people that have killed their men and women and children, the very people that have chased them out of their land and taken them captive. And the Lord is telling them, I want you to pray for their peace. This is the way the Lord views government now. Think about this. This goes right along with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I exhort you, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and honesty. For kings, and for all that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Okay, so it's God's desire that we pray for those that are in authority and to do good unto them, which which goes right along to what Jesus taught us in Matthew uh, 5, verses 43 through 48, where Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? But you, therefore, be perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Think about this, especially in those times that do seem desperate. All goodness comes from God. God is good, and he's good all the time. He is so good that he even treats those that are considered evil or wicked well. He treats them well. It says that he blesses even the unjust. He causes the rain to fall upon them as well. And, you know, also it's in his goodness that leads us to repentance. To remember, it's his goodness that led you to your repentance. And so by us being as the Father, it has a way of influencing others in a direction that leads to repentance. It's so easy to want to retaliate when someone is not treating us well. But the idea is to be the, to extend the mercy of the Father to those that need mercy. I mean, after all, we needed mercy, right? Now, if you look at Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, recompense no evil, or I'm sorry, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible, as much as it lies in you, Live peaceably with all men, dearly beloved. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in doing, in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. 
be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That, by the way, is the essence of warfare or spiritual warfare. Side note, the word spiritual warfare, or that phrase rather, you will never find that in the Bible. But our call is to be spiritual, and spiritual means overcoming evil with good. So going back to Jeremiah 29, verse 10 through 14. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye will seek me and find me, when you, all, when you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, says the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you, which I, which I spake, and I will gather you together. So again, the Lord is saying, I am going to perform my good word toward you, right? The plans I have for you are good. The plans that God has for you are good. So regardless of where you are at in life right now or the circumstances that are surrounding us, remember God's word, his intentionality toward you is good. So even the circumstances in which we find ourselves are temporary. They have a shelf life. And remember, Hope is an expected or a positive expectation. When you're talking about biblical hope, we're talking about a hope that is beyond wishful thinking. It is, you can count it as a fact. You can count it as something that is going to happen. Just as Hebrews 11:1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is God's unseen reality, which, which is what hope really is. Something that we may not have in our hand at this moment, but we are assured that we're going to have it. So when God says, I'm going to perform my word, you can count on it. So as we come into the book of Daniel, the first thing that we notice about Daniel is this, is that Daniel was first faithful to God. Daniel was first faithful to God. So in his interaction with those of Babylon, and in particular with King Nebuchadnezzar and the following kings after him, Daniel first determined in his heart that he was going to be faithful to God regardless of the other person. And let's say that, and let me say this kind of a precursor to what we're getting into. Regardless of the other person's worldview, we have to make a decision that we are going to treat those in authority in a way that's pleasing to God. We've got to do this God's way, or we absolutely will not have influence in the government. Now check this out. Daniel 4, I'm sorry, Daniel 1, verse 8 through 9. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of eunuchs. You know, when we make a decision that we're going to walk upright before the Lord, the Lord does give us favor. I mean, we have favor already just simply because we are children of God through Jesus Christ. 
But when we are intentional about our relationship with him, he opens up doors that might not otherwise be opened. But in this case, again, Daniel had determined that he was going to follow the law. Again, he, he was under the law of Moses, and they had their dietary laws. And the things that King Nebuchadnezzar was placing before the children of Israel and before these specialized people, uh, in this case with Daniel and with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in a, a different class of people that the King Nebuchadnezzar had separated unto themselves. But anyway, he had given these people a particular diet to follow, which was something contrary to the law of Moses. So with that, Daniel determined in his heart that he was going to follow the law of God and not the law of man. And of course, as you know, as the story goes on, Daniel tells the eunuch, tell you what, let us eat just our vegetables <laughs> and so on. Just eat the diet that we eat for 10 days and see what happens. And at the end of that 10 days, of course, Daniel and the rest that came with him were in better shape than those that were eating the king's diet. Now we go on to Daniel 4, verse 19. And this is something really interesting. This is a lesson that we need to learn from Daniel. And that is, Daniel sought the government's welfare. In other words, Daniel sought the welfare of those in authority. And we're talking about individuals now that were cutthroat. Think about this. Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for the death of many of Daniel's fellow citizens of Israel. And I would probably dare say uh, of many of his family members as well. And yet, Daniel made this decision that he was going to bless King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4 is actually an account or a narrative given by King Nebuchadnezzar about a particular prophecy that he received that he couldn't understand that he, or a dream I should say, that he didn't understand and it troubled him greatly. No one could figure this thing out, so he went to Daniel. And it talks, this prophecy talks about him actually losing his place of authority if he did not repent. And it, that's the short of it. I mean, read all of Daniel 4. In fact, read all the book of Daniel. And you will get to see, again, just a, an exemplary um, example on the way we should interact with those in authority. So, Daniel 4, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished. You know, that's King James, by the way. And astonished means dazed or bewildered or astonished. He was astonished or astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spoke and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate you, and the interpretation thereof to your enemies. So, right away, Daniel is contemplating this prophecy, this word, this vision, I should say, which was a prophecy, and he is troubled by it. He didn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream, but yet Nebuchadnezzar, tell me anyway, don't let it trouble you. So that tells you something about Daniel's character. He was concerned for the king. And of course, the temptation might be, well, he's probably afraid to tell the king because he doesn't want to lose his life. Well, no, that's not the case. Because if you study Daniel in the earlier chapters, you find that Daniel had given interpretations of, of, or an interpretation of his dream, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream before that was not favorable. It was not something that, you know, you would want to tell someone in his position, but he did it anyway. 
That's another lesson, by the way, from Daniel, and that is be faithful with the word that God gives you. Be faithful with that word. So we look at verse 27, jumping ahead. Daniel 4, verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto you, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Did you see that? If it be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Daniel was looking for peace for Nebuchadnezzar's sake. He was seeking Nebuchadnezzar's repentance, in other words. See, think about it. Just as I said earlier, you're talking about a king that's responsible for many deaths of his fellow citizens and family members. And yet, Daniel is seeking his welfare. Which brings me to this point for us as believers, as disciples in Jesus Christ. Here's the point. Daniel could have said, you know what? I hope the guy fries. I'm glad that this is going to happen to him. In fact, let's push him over the edge. You know, he could have been all about seeing the demise of Nebuchadnezzar, but he wasn't about that. He was all about Nebuchadnezzar repenting. And isn't that our job? To see the repentance of others? That's why we want to treat others well, why we want to be merciful. We don't want to be in this state, and especially with authorities, right? I mean, how many have said, you know what, they are going to be held accountable for that, or for that policy, that decision, that way that they acted, or that thing they said? Guess what? We're all going to be held accountable. Yeah, sure, we as disciples of Jesus Christ have been saved from the wrath to come. That is a true st statement. But we're still going to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our life. And if you think about it, Jesus said, be merciful. Uh, bless, I'm sorry, let me back up. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So if our attitude is a departure from mercy, we're going to find less mercy extended toward us. We want people to be in a place of mercy. If you think of the alternative, what if we just took this attitude and says, you know what, I hope they burn for that. And then next thing you know, we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And he said, you want them to burn for that? How's that fit in with the forgiveness you received from me? See, if we don't forgive, we lose forgiveness. Remember that. But let's go another step. Okay, some people profess they love their country. They want what's best for it. I don't care if it's here in the U.S., which is where I'm from, and I can only speak to the U.S. or about the U.S. because this is where I live. But regardless of what country you're from, if you want the wealth, if you want that country to be in its best place, then we need to inter interact with those in authority in a way which is merciful. So what if instead of thwarting or coming against someone because of their policy, and again, I'm not saying that we agree with the policies all the time. So if someone has got an ungodly policy, I'm not saying we are are endorsing those policies by treating them well or being merciful. The idea is to treat them well so it can lead them to repentance for their soul's sake in the long run, that they would come to Jesus if they don't know him and receive forgiveness of sins, be delivered from the wrath of come, and guess what? Maybe change the way they think, which leads to changes in policy. 
If I'm thwarting people in a way that they don't want to listen to me, I'm not going to have influence in their life. It's kind of like if I came charging at you like a bull in a charge in a a, a china closet, are you going to want to listen to me if I'm yelling and screaming at you? Are you going to listen to a word that I have to say? Probably not. But if I come humbly before you or to you, and you know, with my hat in hand, if you will, in a way that I'm not going to threaten you, in a way that I'm not going to try to demoralize you, you're going to probably be more receptive to what I have to say. In other words, if I'm kind towards you, you're more apt to listen. So if we are more kind to those in authority, they might be more apt to listen. So if we want to see things change in our country for the better or remain in a good place, if we're in a good place, Wouldn't it be a good idea then to be able to approach those in authority in such a way that's respectful, in a way that's actually loving? So yeah, that leads me to the next thing. Love tells the truth, and truth without love is not truth. So the other side of speaking the love and truth is this. Speaking the truth and love means that what I have to say is going to benefit the other person that receives it or hears what I have to say. So the intentionality behind my words is the betterment of the other person. And of course, a betterment for everyone at large. So in this case, again, Daniel could have said, let him fry. I hope he loses his power. I hope he's miserable. But he didn't. He sought his repentance. Again, Jesus was in this earth reconciling us onto God not imputing or not holding our sins against us. And that's the attitude that we need to take. We need to be in a place of mercy, extending God's grace to other people. So going up to verse 28 through 32, again in Daniel 4. And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by my might and of my power for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you, and they will drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they will make you to eat grass as the oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. So here we go. Twelve months later, or a year later, after Daniel warned him you need to repent, he decided to get prideful instead, and the Lord humbled him. Now, a couple of principles in here already. Again, we just see something underscored. It is God who sets up people in office or in authority, right? It also means that he can take them out, okay? So if someone's in a bad place and doesn't repent, you know, I don't know the long, you know, the Lord is long-suffering. He is very patient. So how whatever that shelf life is with that authority is going to vary, But the point is, it's God that's going to put them in. It's also him that's going to take them out. But more than that, Nebuchadnezzar found out that if you don't humble yourself, that you will be humbled. And there is a time for everyone in this world. Those that refuse to bow their knees before Jesus will bow their knees 
on the other side of eternity. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the word. So we go up to Daniel chapter 6. And now Daniel is serving King Darius. And this is verses 19 through 23. And let's uh, preface this a little bit. Remember earlier we said that Daniel had already determined in his heart that he was going to be faithful to God. And this is another one of those cases where he was serving King Darius. And those that were under King Darius's authority tricked King Darius into making a decree that no one should bow to any of their gods except for him. Well, what did Daniel do? Daniel went to his place. He had his windows open. He was worshiping God. And as a result, they overheard him worshiping God because he's faithful, because he was faithful to God first and foremost that his faithfulness got him in hot water with King Darius. You know, and, and, and King Darius, after the fact, was not very, let's say, very happy with what he decreed. So anyway, this is the point where Daniel gets cast into the lion's den. So here we are at verse 19 of Daniel 6. It starts out there. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said, Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom you serve continually able to deliver you from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, listen to this, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me for so much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before you, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that, he, that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no matter of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. Daniel believed God. He trusted God with everything, even to the point of facing death. Now, again, check this out. Daniel calls back up to King Darius, and he says, O king, live forever. Now, granted, back then that was a common thing to say to the king or those in authority, O king, live forever. That's true. But in this particular case, Daniel could have foregone that statement. Nothing would have probably been said about it. Hey, Daniel, you didn't say, oh, live forever. No, I mean, Daniel was probably free of it, but he said it anyway. Oh, king, live forever. Again, look at Daniel's heart. Here's another example of Daniel for us to take to heart. Daniel sought repentance for his nation. Daniel sought repentance for his nation. Because Daniel recognized one thing. The reason that they were under King Nebuchadnezzar's rule, under King Darius's rule, and Cyrus and some of the other kings that he served under, was because of their rebellion as a nation before God. Remember, Israel was chosen of God, and it was for his namesake that he actually brought them back out of captivity. And Daniel recognized the fact that because of that rebellion, they were taken captive. He also recognized, too, what Jeremiah had said, or God said through Jeremiah about being delivered from Babylon 70 years later. So this is where we're at in Daniel chapter 9, and this is a prayer that, Jesus, that Daniel prayed. 
verses 1 through 6 of Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he should accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and from your judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto your servants, the prophets, which spake in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Now, read all of chapter 9 of Daniel, okay? I'm only, I'm only sharing an, an excerpt. But here's the point. Daniel saw where they were at spiritually, and he included himself in this prayer. He said, we have sinned against you, right? So he sought repentance. In other words, he went into introspection. And this is something important for us as disciples or as believers, is there is a place where we need to stop and get very self-aware with the assistance of Holy Spirit showing us what we need to see about ourselves because there are times when we ourselves have not done what we should be doing. Now, let's get a little blunt. I'm going to get very blunt right now, but I say this with love, and I say it with the intentionality of seeing a repentance or a change for the better for everyone in the body of Christ, and that is this. This is one thing that we as the church need to repent of, and that is our division. We have been divided for a long time. And there are some inroads that are being made. People are starting to come together, but it's time to do that exponentially. It is time to redeem the time that we would come into unity with Holy Spirit. One of the reasons that we see nations divided, and then I'm talking about the U.S. where we live, we see great divisions amongst people. And I believe some of that has to do with the church itself because we as a people have been, undiv we have been divided when the will and desire of God is that we be one. Just as it says in Ephesians, there's one God and Father, one Lord Jesus Christ, one Holy Spirit, and one church. And if you read Jesus' prayer in John 17, you would see that he, would, that he prayed to the Father that we would be one just as he and the Father were one. Our division is causing havoc. In fact, it's causing us to lose influence in the world because it's going to be our love for one another that's going to reveal the fact that God sent Jesus Christ to this earth so that everyone that called on his name could be saved from the wrath to come. But we've not been unified as we should. We've not joined in to unity of the Spirit. And it's time that we, as the body of Christ, humble ourselves and repent. It's time that we forgive one another. It's time that we love one another well. Because if we don't do that, we are never going to have the influence that we should have in this world. There's going to be a number of people that are not going to connect to the love of God because we've decided not to repent. Again, it gets down to doing things God's way. 
Second Chronicles seven fourteen gets quoted a lot, especially when a nation's in in turbulent times. I've seen it a lot here in the U.S. Seen signs in people's yards and billboards where Second Chronicles seven fourteen right. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Healing comes from repentance, right? If we want to see our lands more whole, then we need to repent, which leads me to the final segment. How can the church influence government? How can we influence those in authority? Remember this, Proverbs 14, verse 34 through 35. Righteousness exalts a nation, but a sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against the causes that, I'm sorry, but his wrath against him that causes shame. Again, righteousness is what exalts a nation. It's not going to be who you vote for. It's not going to be who's in authority. It's going to be righteousness. And we as the body of believers need to be walking in the righteousness of Jesus. We need to allow his righteousness to flow through us. Romans 13, verse 2 through 5. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will you then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you will have the praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid. For he bears not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. There is a place in our walk, which is a mature place in walk, and we start doing things out of love instead of, shall we say, self-preservation. Sometimes people obey the law just simply to stay out of trouble. But if we are walking in love, that's not even an issue. How are we going to influence the government? We're going to have to walk in love. We're going to have to stop thwarting or fighting against them in a carnal manner. Okay? We know that our fight's not against flesh and blood, and we have to remember that. That person in authority is not the problem. There's something behind that. There's a spirit behind that if there is a problem. So what's that mean for us? That means we need to go into prayer for those in authority. I mean serious prayer. If someone is not implementing policies that are pleasing, it's important that we humble ourselves before the Lord and just pray for them. We can't get all jacked up in relation to what's going on with them. So, again, that is a position that we as the body of Christ have got to take. Now, going on to Romans 13, verses 6 through 8. For this cause, pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. 
Now, going to 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Did you hear that? For the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, the word didn't say honor the king only if he's a good guy or good gal, whatever, right? doesn't say that. doesn't say honor those in authority only if they behave themselves. It just says honor them. And so we are to give honor to those that are in authority. Again, it doesn't mean that we are endorsing any bad policies. That's not the point. The point is, is we want to do things for the sake of the Lord. It gets back to this other element of walking by love, and that is not being a stumbling block to another. So, for example, Jesus said, you know, do good to them that persecute you. So if I'm being a jerk to someone else and they reject me, it's not because I'm, be, I'm not being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. I'm being pushed back because I'm being a jerk, Right? But if we think in terms of the Lord's heart and what he wants to see in people, which includes repentance, we need to change our approach. I mean, again, this is a broad brush statement. There's a number of you that do this very well with those in authority. But it does serve as a reminder for all of us that we need to walk in love and extend God's mercy to them for their sake and for the sake of a nation, or for, those, or for the sake of our brothers and sisters, again, so that we can live peaceably amongst one another. Finally, 1 Peter 2, verse 18 through 19. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, or unreasonable, harsh, or unjust. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. So look, even if doing what is right in the Lord's eyes causes you grief, it is still pleasing to the Lord. Because even in the process of being scorned for your position in Jesus, you're honoring Jesus. You're, you are actually confessing him before all men. But not only that, but those that are watching are watching, if you know what I mean. In other words, if you stay the course, it's going to touch them. It's going to influence them for the kingdom. Sure, in some cases, just as Jesus said, this is the condemnation, that light has come, but, and, but, man is hate, but man had loved darkness and had hated the light because his e, uh, deeds were evil. I'm, I'm not quoting that exactly right, but that is the truth. That is, that is true that there are those that hate the light because their deeds are evil. But on the other hand, when you're walking in the light as he is light, people are going to see it are going to, and they're going to be drawn to it. And you will find later in life, as, as, and some of you have experienced this already, as you continue the course, those that once mocked you might actually come up and say, thank you for staying the course. Thank you for being the person of God that you are because it caused me to rethink my own life. Or you might even find some of those apologizing to you because they treated you like a jerk. 
until they came to find Jesus Christ themselves. So we're going to wrap it up at this point. And uh, let's, let's do this. Let's pray. Let's pray for our nations. And let's, let's go. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we just come together as the body of believers, and we pray for our nation, whichever nation in which we find ourselves. We come in agreement for your best for that nation and best for those in authority, Father, that your perfect will is manifesting in these nations and in the lives of those in authority. We bless them. We bless them abundantly. And now, Lord, I pray also that you bless my brothers and sisters. Give them the grace that they might be able to extend mercy to those to whom it's hard to extend that mercy. We just thank you, Lord, that we can come to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in this time of need. Bless their households. Again, let their households be a place of sanctuary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed, my friend.